welcome to another episode of the Event Industry News Podcast with your host, Harry, editor at Event Industry News. Today, joining me on this episode of the podcast is Ryan Howard. I believe Ryan's full title, if I get this right, is Technical Program Manager Experience Designer at Google. Before we jumped on the podcast, I said he got a very uh, special uh, title, but I did make sure I, I kind of searched for that very quickly because I think it's important to let people know kind of the roles and responsibilities that people have. And joining me again, because we recorded a recent podcast as well, is Panos Mutafis. Did I get that right, Panos? Yeah, yeah. surprisingly, yes. <laughs> CEO and Zenus AI, uh, the leading, I would say, uh, facial analysis provider for the events and experience industry. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit today about how Ryan and Panos came together, how that technology plays a role in the events that Google um, put on, how they use it, how they leverage it, and also some thoughts and feelings about just event tech and data and analysis and things like that in general. Ryan, I'd like to start with you, first of all. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for giving us some time of yours. I know you're a very busy person. For those that are listening, could you just give us a little bit of background about kind of like what your role entails at Google and maybe even how you got started in the events industry? How, what led you to this to this role now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, that, that title is probably uh, misleading. It's definitely what was on my offer letter, but I think at this point it's evolved several times. At this point, I, I, lead, a, I lead a portfolio of uh, event technology. So at Google, we have um, several dozen um, managed event spaces, we call them. Basically, these are small theaters that have everything uh, from uh, a front of house position to a, a control room. They're, you know, they're, they have theatrical lighting, uh, LED walls, scenic elements, seating, all that. So it's a small theater of different sort of sizes and shapes, including green rooms, which is what I'm sitting in today. Um, and so that technology stack is something that I help drive the strategy for. And then I work really closely with the service and operations teams and the, the uh, real estate teams to figure out where do we need to build them? What do we need to build? What capabilities do they need to have? What are the services that sit on top of them? Uh, and then how do we make sure that they have the the greatest business impact that they can? And just out of my own interest, Ryan, post-pandemic, now that a lot more of the world is in, in kind of like a hybrid kind of working model, I'm, I'm not, if I'm honest, too sure about Google's policy when it comes to that, but would you say that those spaces are now in higher demand than they maybe were pre-pandemic? Yeah, we've seen a lot of, um, we've seen a lot of uptick I think as compared to pre-pandemic, there's higher, higher utilization. Um, we are one of those companies where most of the people are in the office midweek. So that also creates sort of a compression of, of all of those events trying to happen you know, in fewer days, which is a challenge. Um, and then I think we've really seen big shifts in what an event is. You know, it, uh, For Google especially, it used to be probably mostly about a presenter on a stage talking to an audience in the room. Obviously, hybrid is you know a much more important part than it used to be, but I think the range of what events are um, is really is really expanding. There's a lot more collaboration. There's a lot more um, smaller, sort of more intimate um, experiences that are being put together. So I think everything is shifting. You know, it's not just demand and volume, but it's really the nature of what we're trying to do and the and the business problems that they're being used for. Amazing. Thanks for that, Ryan. Panos, for those that haven't listened to the last episode that we recorded, could you introduce yourself a little bit and tell us a little bit more about, about Zenus as well? Absolutely. My name is Panos and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Zenus. And essentially the problem we're solving in, in the industry is that whereas online you can get a good idea, you know, you publish some content, you have a social media post, you do an email blast, you can always track how many, how many people saw it, clicked, liked, commented, dwelt on it. So you have a lot of metrics to understand the effectiveness of different marketing campaigns with different audiences and so forth. This is, this is a little bit harder to do it in physical spaces. So getting a good picture of dwell time in specific activations, getting an idea about the minute by minute changes in the audience energy, you know, are people excited, enthusiastic or not? In different presentations and, and similar formats, this is becoming more and more important. 
And I think to a great extent, the pandemic was a very big validation on the importance of the in-person experiences. And we're seeing it across the industry that numbers right now, 2023, and I think this will continue in 2024, they're even higher than 2019. And 2019 was a breakthrough year for in-person activities. And this is very telling about the importance of in-person meetings. I'll, I'll stop here so we can continue the conversation. Yeah. I'm very excited about the, the experience uh, space overall. Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right, Panis. You know, there's there's no doubt about the value of in-person events, but back to Ryan's point, no matter what kind of format or, or business objective they are, but certainly there is increasing pressure or at least interest as well in kind of understanding the impact of those. Panas, did you have something to add there? Yes, you know, because I, I would say one of my assumptions, I used to think, you know, the younger generation, uh, you know, Gen Z and whatever, maybe they don't care as much about in-person events. This was my assumption, but we're having more and more data points that indicate it is the opposite. Mm. Because people, they have been a little bit saturated by the abundance of information online. Sometimes it is a little bit harder to trust it. And if you look at the surveys and statistics, the younger generation puts more focus on the in-person means of getting educated about products, ideas, and so forth than we are, which is very interesting. It was counterintuitive for me, but apparently this, this is the trend. So that's why I said, I think it will become more and more important moving forward, not less. Yeah, I think I think that we can absolutely see that. And, and I know I'm aware of a, a company like Google that was born as a digital company, ultimately having, you know, in-person events, even in-person retail experiences, things like that, because the value of having that connection, that human connection, even when you're purchasing a product or you're, you're, you're getting invested in a brand or something like that is, is just so important. Um, it, it's definitely a good thing for, for us as the events industry because that's the platform that we create. Um, and I certainly think that technology will help us to, to prove the value of that even more. Ryan, I'd love to know from, from your side, what kind of led you, what was Google's interest, I guess, in looking at facial analysis, te- analysis technology and specifically Zenus, what was it that you were looking to achieve or understand from a business expe- objective or even from a, an experience design uh, perspective? Yeah, and we're in the very early days of this. You know, we're really just getting getting our feet wet here and how we use this kind of technology. I think to go back to uh, a comment you made about you know, Google being a digital company, one of the things that was most surprising to me when I when I started here was how much the culture was built around face-to-face communications. Mm-hmm. And I spent the first year here on the road all of the time. I felt like all I did was fly from one, you know, uh, one country or one city to another to go to a different workshop, a design workshop, a lot of, you know, FaceTime with people, a lot of meeting people, a lot of talking. And then obviously that all came to, a, you know, sudden sudden stop with the pandemic um and it's 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 come back to life to some degree we don't travel as much i think there's a lot of different reasons for that but we still do some and we we do use these uh in-person opportunities um to get a lot done and i think that's Mm. part of it is what an event is, I think for us inside may look different than what it, an event is from the outside. I think we probably have a broader definition of events. Uh, they're not always about marketing or sales. Um, a lot of them are really about just getting business done, but getting business done might be like, you know, standing up new teams and creating a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose and, and building trust and, and confidence. It might be about um, education. It might be about context setting. It might be about planning. Uh, events are really powerful tools for the business beyond just selling things or beyond hitting marketing KPIs. And so a lot of what we do uh, when we build these spaces is we're creating effectively a business platform for us to be able to, you know, host those events and, and accomplish those things. And that's a very wide range of things. And so as we're doing it, we really want to understand what's, what's effective. And it's not just, is this piece of technology effective? But hey, is this moment, is this kind of like what I refer to as tactic in an event being effective? So is this particular, like is a roundtable discussion an effective way of 
creating deeper context and transparency and a sense of transparency and maybe leading to a sense of belonging. So we're trying to find ways where we can look at these things and understand really qualitative, like qualitatively, what are they doing? And then quantitatively, are they having the impact that they should have? And then also, are we creating the right um, technology and service space and, and, and physical space for it to happen in the best way possible? So in the past, we've, you know, we've done things like ethnological studies and you know, typical sort of um, UX research pathways. And those are great, but they're, uh, they're time consuming, they're costly, they're hard to do at like broad scale. Um, and we're in a weird in-between scale often with a lot of this stuff. It's not like we're, you know, we're not the team that delivers Pixel phones. Uh, so our scale is dozens of spaces and thousands of events. <laughs> but uh, uh, so we can't make exactly the same investments. So what was really interesting when we, uh, when I met Panos and started talking about uh, what Zenus was doing was that it was an opportunity to look at these same signals and try to understand them in a way that seemed much more scalable and much more uh, cost effective for us to ask these questions, start to get answers and, and apply it in a way where it was like at the right scale where we could get the, the, right, the right kind of data, the right, you know, the right amount of data that we could have confidence in um, these insights we were trying to develop. And if you don't mind me asking, were you approaching those events and trying to quantify them before you started working with Panos? And if so, what would it, what did that look like? I mean, a, a fair answer is no, and that's the that's the obvious kind of route to working with a, a, a platform like Xenus. But I just kind of want to, I think, interesting for the listeners to understand: was there a kind of a process of trying to achieve that before before a technology play? Yeah, we actually have been working on uh, a few things that kind of have led us to this path. So, in addition to my you know day job, so to speak, um, on the technology portfolio. Um, I'm also a co-lead in a program we have here called Experience Institute, which um, my my uh, colleague Megan Henschel started. That's um, that's a thought leadership forum that has a lot of external participants. Uh, I think Panos has been a part of this, and I think that's really ex probably how we initially met. Um, but we've we've had that going for a couple of years, and part of one of the things we we did when we first started it was we went through a discovery period where we tried to understand what did we know, what do we think we know, what do we not know. And this was really, you know, this sort of later half of the pandemic lockdown era. And as we came out of it, one of the biggest things that came to the top of the list of things we have to figure out is we have no way of saying, was this successful? You know, we have no clear way of saying an event was successful and what that what success even means. And so we started down the we started down the road of trying to develop a success framework for events, uh, which has evolved quite a bit. And we've we've been developing something now called Expo, which is um, just a way of trying to um, corral all the you know the 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 spaghetti of data that's out there and insights. And what we realized is that there's no single insight we can we can ask for. There's no single definition of success. So we started trying to develop this, this framework that lets us look at different versions of success, relate them to each other, and go as deep as we need to go or go as high level as we need to go. Uh, so yeah, so that was something that by, by approaching it that way, we took more of a product development approach, this whole ecosystem. And it let us start to think about like, okay, so if we're trying to enable a tactic, what might be sort of analogous to a feature in a product, how can we, how can we start to test whether that's working? And, you know, it's, it's, it lets us look at the same tools we would use on say, you know, an event by event basis, but apply them in a different way. Um, so we were, yeah, we've been looking at it for a while and I think everybody's tired of surveys and probably, you know, how much do you trust a survey really? So we've, we're looking for different, different ways we can measure stuff directly, you know, and, um, there's a wide range of things we can measure and ultimately if we can measure them and we can link them together and have confidence that one thing leads to another we start to get a much richer set of insights and understanding of what works and how to sharpen sort of the strategies we are employing that's a bit amazing Ryan. thanks for that insight I'd, I'd love to come back to expo and to your point you know surveys and i guess the, the industry term of net promoter score is always one of those where you only really get people that respond in that 
either are your super evangelists of the of the experience or your major detractors. You never really capture those people that are in the that are in the middle that that are absolutely fine and they're happy to be there, but then they they often can provide the greatest amount of insight into what you might want to tweak and change in terms of the the overall event setting. Panos is is it a very similar story? with other customers and other events in the same way that Ryan, you know, they want to understand what's working from an event perspective. They want to prove the value of bringing that. They want to have the insight so they can tweak and change and improve that for everybody, for the business, for the attendees. Is that a similar kind of scenario of others coming to you and, and wanting a similar uh, opportunity to, to uncover some of that? It, it, it is very, very similar. And uh, we're also seeing some trends on the insights collected too, which is very interesting and goes back to the tactics that, that Ryan mentioned. Like before I, I joined the podcast, I was in a call with an organization and we, we were reviewing the results of an internal meeting. And I said, every quarter we have employee meetings and we want to understand what works and what doesn't work. One of the things that we saw was that at the beginning of a session, you know, they had the, the music and so forth, and you could see a spike in sentiment, sentiment and excitement. For them, it was validation. Okay, that works. We should keep using it. If we want to bring the energy up, we should keep using this as a tactic, as a tool. There was another session that was uh, something like a motivational speaker, a trainer, that she's very effective in the way she communicates. That also, like, she got people to, to get up, clap, you know, do, do all of these things. They could see that for the next 10 to 15 minutes, there was a, a very clear spike in the energy of the audience that was sustained. And we did the same thing in with the UK Treasury at an event a couple of years ago. Same thing, this works. When you see something that three, four, five, ten times works in the same way, that's how you know that this is a tactic that I can keep using whenever I want to achieve X. And I think this is what Ryan was talking about. Yeah, that, that kind of brings me a little bit back to, um, I think the term or, or the the framework that you mentioned was was EXPO, which I'm assuming is an acronym for, for, for something. Um, events experience, personality, something or other, I don't know. Um, performance. <laughs> is it performance? Okay, cool. Thanks, Thanks Ryan. <laughs> um, is that... You mentioned other things feeding into that, and I'd be really interested to know kind of what you're trying to capture in Expo from elsewhere to kind of give you a fuller picture of of what's working. Yeah, so Expo, it is um, it is an acronym. It's Experience, Performance, and Outcomes. Oh, it's and XPO. I was thinking EXPO. It's EXPO, <laughs> but experience, okay. Uh, okay. performance, and outcomes. And it's so it's kind of three buckets, if you will, or three pillars, uh, where uh, kind of going backwards or out of order, because okay. you put it out of order, it doesn't spell as good of a name, but expos, <laughs> it rings better. So well, if, you start with, yeah, if you start with, you start with the O, the outcomes, that's really important. Outcomes are really like ultimately where we should start. What are the outcomes? What are the business objectives we're trying to meet? Yeah. What are what are we trying to do? And I I think for us we really want to root things into real business objectives. Now, sometimes people and their individual objectives are a good proxy for the business objective. And so you might think about uh, if you're you know inviting a CMO into uh, an event. That CMO, you want to be happy, you can look at it and design for that CMO's personal experience. That's great, but also recognize that they embody their own business objectives. Mm. So the business objectives piece is really important. We need to both understand our objectives as a business and then our customers' objectives or our audience's objectives. Uh, so that's a starting point. Going to the other end, the experience. So what are the what is the experience um, that we're we're delivering in terms of something that we can kind of define again, this goes back to the idea of, of, of tactics, perhaps, you know, like it's, uh, it's patterns, it's experiential KPIs though. Like you're trying to make sure that you meet certain, um, meet certain standards. And this really, I think starts to speak to the more humanistic piece of it, where you do start to really address the, the, the person. And then performance is really the biggest pillar of all. That's the entire ecosystem of all the, you know, spaces, technology, people, everything that combines together to enable that experience and produce those outcomes. So by bucketing it that way, we kind of have three things that let us start to tell a bit of a story of like, um, 
we did this thing using this stuff to achieve this kind of outcome. So it sets up a really clean narrative. And then we divide it up horizontally, if you will, from the top to bottom, where we start down at that very tactical level. Like these are the nitty gritty details. These are the things you worry about when you're planning an event and it goes on your run of show sheet or it goes on you know, whatever your agenda is. Um, the next level up would be the heuristic or sort of, um, um, I call it heuristic level, but that's where you say, oh, this is a town hall or this is a, um, an executive briefing or something like that. That wraps a whole bunch of tactics. And people generally know when you say this is going to be an executive briefing, everybody kind of has an idea what that is. But if you started trying to describe it in detail, they're going to get lost. So that's a really valuable layer because it lets people align very quickly. And the next level up is, okay, we're going to do this every year, year over year. How are we, how well are we performing? Is our are our vendors meeting the you know SLAs that we have set? Is our technology performing up to par? Are our spaces doing the right thing? And then the very top level is the what I kind of think of as like the CFO level. You know, why do we do this at all? And what is what is the major top line business value? Um, so it's a way of both taking those that broad range of signals and the broad range of data insights that you need to produce, stringing them together into a coherent story but then also making sure you have the ability to tell the right story to the right audience. And frankly, that's been one of the biggest challenges for us is we have a really great team of people um, internally and partner vendors that we work with and, and partner friends we work with, but then we go a few degrees up or a few degrees out and the context is really lost and it's really hard to say why and we trip over our own words, you know? So this was really an effort for us to be able to kind of ladder up and down really cleanly and link those stories and have confidence Then we tell um, a senior leader something, we're telling them something built on a true foundation that we can really dive into. And conversely, you know, if we get top level direction, we're able to kind of also um, turn that into actionable, more increasingly more actionable, you know, smaller, more tactical aspects as we go deeper into that. So it's really an organizing framework. It's not really like a single index. Um, conveniently, I do think you could probably add all the things up in there, average it and get a score. So like, you know, we're working on implementing it ourselves in different ways, but I think, you know, in principle, it could be implemented in a lot of different, uh, a lot of different ways, but it's, it starts with just an organizing way of kind of giving people the an ability to tell the right story to the right audience. That's amazing. If you can please tell whoever kind of deals with Google templates, just to put that somewhere in the like a Google Drive for everybody to also work from, I think that would be incredibly helpful to like pretty much the entire industry in terms of in terms of that framework. Thank you very much for kind of going to so much detail around that because I think it's really important for people to understand kind of like how it's being approached and and that kind of stuff. Everybody who listens to this podcast will be absolutely on board with the value of events but are probably having the same challenges of how do we actually, you know, show, like you said, up the ladder, the value of what we're doing and how we're going to approach things going forward. So yeah, if obviously. I may add something that, you know, uh, one of the things we have appreciated a lot about Google, first of all, is the diligence in which everything is being approached, mm. in the processes, the systems and so forth. And part of the reason is that Google has the resources to do that. Uh, but what, Personally, I like the most is that it's not kept like a secret that we just use it internally and we leverage it uh, to drive us apart from everybody else. The whole team has made a very big effort to open source it and invite other people in that. And Ryan being here and having this conversation is the best testament to this uh, because you know you usually have the, the mindset: is it zero sum? I win, you lose, or is it a situation that uh, you know it's the rising tide that everybody? Is lifted, yeah. and I very much appreciate the openness in which uh, the, the whole topic is being approached. Uh, and I just want to point that out. Absolutely, and to add to that, um, Ryan uh, and Panos very. Um, uh, uh, I forgot. What, I'm trying to think of the word, but you know, gave up their time again to come and speak at Event Tech Live Las Vegas earlier in the year um to our audience there and again shared some of those approaches and some of those things that we're discussing now if anybody wants to go and watch that we do have that available on demand on the event tech live website for people to go back and watch and i would i would recommend it because it was really interesting interesting session and conversation 
but I think that's I, I think that's hopefully the way on whole the events industry approaches things very open very you know where we we're here to elevate events as a a communication tool to bring people closer together to sell product to engage with our customers maybe just to have a beer and a good time right it doesn't necessarily some things don't actually have to have an objective other than just hanging out um but it's it's nice to see companies like google like you say panos having that openness to how they're approaching and i think that's what this podcast was originally formed for however many episodes ago we we launched it was just to give an opportunity for people to have a conversation around these topics so others can learn because this is very hard to put into words on a on a blog or in a piece of content or something like that because one of the things that's missing is no there's no inflection there's no there's no kind of personality behind these things and it's and it's you know your expo explanation would have got shortened into like one sentence of expo means this and this is what it is and it's like well the, the meaning's kind of lost and stuff i so. have a white paper that has remained half written for a year and a half so yeah. <laughs> just do a video put it on youtube <laughs> do it that way <laughs> then get i uh, i uh, to transcribe it and put it into the white paper for you <laughs> um ryan i'd love to know if if you can share maybe just some of the things already now I, I know it like you said it's it's uh, still early stages with, with Zenus, but are there anything that you can share in terms of things that you have changed now that you've been able to have access to that that data um the short answer is no because we actually haven't really okay we're we're, we're literally deploying this now so we we don't have our insights and, and um the way we're going about this i mean first of all obviously it's Google, so AI is not a hard sell here. Um, sure, <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> you know, we go through the same, but we we go through the same loops as everyone. Hoops as everyone, but maybe we actually go through many more because of who we are about ensuring that we're doing this in a way that's compliant. That um, we're not, you know, catching PII we shouldn't be catching. We're not, you know. Um, Mm. we're not affecting privacy things like that so we've 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 been going through the process of doing our due diligence we've we've done that i think we're 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 confident that we can we can deploy it and use it um responsibly and and now we're really kind of going through the technical implementation of, of putting it in spaces which um is more of a logistics thing <laughs> for us than anything else uh, and to start getting to start getting those insights coming to us um and i think one of the biggest things is one of the biggest questions is not so much first off surprisingly like what it will tell us about how we can change our uh, event spaces or services but it's the question of how will we use it to tell us those things in the long term because there is a lot of data that's already out there about general trends that we that we've captured from many sources industry sources like lots of studies you know, things that are, that Panos is talking about. Mm -hmm. In the end, it's really a question of how do we apply it to, um, to improve our product, so to speak, right? And I think that's kind of interesting because it's not, um, we're not going to use it on an event by event basis in the sense that it might be used for, um, you know, a traditional once a year marquee event where you reshape it or a single event that happens every single month. We're trying to use it across a really wide range and understand how we, really uh, better delivered to an entire kind of catalog of event types. So, yeah, I think it's, um, as we've gotten into it, it's, it's, it's been interesting to think about it from more of a product-like point of view. Does it set up the opportunity for us to do A-B testing, which is something you can do, you know, in the traditional UX world, but it's really hard to do in physical spaces, but maybe this allows us to, you know, pick that up. So. I think that's what's kind of exciting is it lets us, it expands our options, lets us take on, you know, even more scalable um, and extensible approaches. That's a really interesting and approach of, of, of kind I'll, of doing the to your Yeah, go for it. To your, yeah, to your, to your previous point, you said is Google the same as other clients or, or users or service? In many ways, yes, but also in one significant way, no. In the sense, and that's why I think Google is a thought leader in many things around AI and technology. Um, many, many companies are using it as a tactical tool. Like Ryan said, I go from event to event. What do I change? How do I improve? 
very valuable. Like we have seen very big improvements. If, if you're consistent and you trust the data and you experiment, you get very good results with that. Don't get me wrong. But I think what Google is doing, and Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, is more of a strategic approach on, on, on a bigger scale and, and bigger, yeah. yeah. So that's the difference. And, and that's why I think that if you ask me, Google will get very interesting lessons learned because of the scale and the approach and the thoughtfulness. And even though, Ryan, you mentioned logistics, the installation, so forth, we have spent a lot of time with the team going over and over again the, the, the angle, the, the, the height from the floor, the aesthetics, all of these things. And we're working with Joe and, and other people in, in the Google team to make sure that this is standardized and all the data is as consistent, consistent as possible to facilitate these insights and strategic outcomes in a more precise way. Well, this might be a question then where my mind's just jumped to is that from a strategic level, do you do you both think that we'll get to a point where an expo framework can be filled out? This is what we'd like to achieve. You punch that into AI and that will give you maybe not one option, but a range of options in the terms of like how this might want to be delivered, approached, designed, the type of music that they play when the people are arriving even down to you know the time that finishes, the length of sessions, things like that. Because if you're collecting all of this information, yes, Ryan, you and your team can interpret, or maybe another business unit in Google can interpret. Panos, you, your team could in, interpret ex, uh, the um, extensively. But do you think that'll be a that, do you think that'll be something that we'll 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 get to where AI is helping in? the design and delivery of an event based on the, the data and insight we've had from previously? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I, I, there's AI has been around for a long time and it's yeah. sort of exploded recently in terms of its popularity, shall we say, like awareness, uh, the general public's awareness. Um, and so I, I think that the first stop to AI is just algorithm and doing something repeatably. And right now there's a lot of interesting things where you don't need a lot of it. You know, you can feed the engine something and get pictures back that look like whatever, it's crazy, it's wild, it's fun. But if you wanna do something that's more curated and really sharper, if you can combine the AI piece with stronger uh, stronger frameworks, and so it has more, it has stronger boundaries to run within, stronger uh, stronger rails to run on, then I think you just get that much more impact out of it. Like those, those are things that, you know, compound each other in terms of their impact. And I think that's, for me, that's really what's interesting and exciting. We, um, another thing we've been working on. So Expo is something that, you know, is, I, I wouldn't say is open source or anything, but it's been kind of developed uh, and talked about a lot all the way along part of the XI community as we've gone. There's another, um, there's another thing that I've talked about a little bit publicly that um, it's called Tabaret. That's just our name for it. But it's basically responsive, taking responsive web and expanding that to the built environment. So it's a set of design rules about how content behaves on different things in the, in the world. And so I think what's really uh, exciting is that that kind of responsive behavior set of rules and frameworks and then code that makes that run can be combined with the kind of like uh, insight framework and, and, you know, connect the dots capability that Expo provides us. And then we can apply AI and say, hey, I want to, you know, I need to achieve this kind of outcome. And it has a bunch of handles it can turn. And I, and still we can set constraints. So like, I think it just is really all very complementary, and there's a huge amount of possibility. Um, and I think it's one of those things that um, sounds impossible some days, but I think you just have to keep planting small seeds and then those seeds grow at ever expanding rates. And suddenly one day you look back and you realize you've covered a whole lot of ground. So I, I, I love that. I love that last piece, uh, Ryan, a lot. Uh, Adam, going back to your initial question, uh, what, when you said that this, this picture hit my head of like a user interface that you just type, I want to do an event with uh, that maximizes, for example, the excitement or the focus or the reflection of people. And then the response is, well, 
this is the type you need to do a, a panel discussion with thought leaders and you say the event will be 500 people taking place in the u.s and then it refines it a little bit more and says the type of speakers is that and then you say this is my industry and this is my demographic and this is the duration and then it gives you more and more details and you put the budget and so forth and the more details you give it the more specific the advice is and the more it adjusts and where you started and where you went might be different but it's like a journey of, of analyzing the data if you have enough information to the system you can do something like that that's amazing i think that only brings one problem to mind that ryan's one very special event space on that one day will have a back queue of people wanting to book it out because that's the perfect day to host an event in <laughs> new york or something like that and everybody will want that day and the venue will be booked out um i guess I guess if you don't mind, and, and this is possibly a controversial question to ask, so by all means, answer it politically. Does this mean that, does that create an environment where there's the potential for the death of the creative designer and the event experiencist and, and the agency and things like that? I hope not, but I, I have to ask the question because I think this is a fear that maybe some of the industry has around technology in general, facial analysis, AI, and things like that. What, what's your opinions there? Panos, I'll let you, yeah, throw the ball to you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love this question because this is something we have thought quite a bit. And, and I, I had an interview on Exhibition News two years ago, I believe, and it was a very similar question. And my response back then was, Event organizers, event planners, they are the most busy people on earth. And if they have more time in their hands, they will be able, they will be able to create even better experiences. So it's about everybody wants an assistant. Now they have an assistant. They want to play back ideas. They have someone to play back ideas. So if anything, I think it will empower people. I think that's the first part. It will empower the professionals to be even better at what they do not take away from what they do, they will help them make it better. That's the first part. The second part, and this, this is bigger, the more access we have to resources, energy, healthcare, transportation, uh, we don't have to work as many hours, hopefully in the future as we do right now, the importance of the way we experience things becomes more important than in the past. So the emphasis on the experience will be better and people who offer experiences be more empowered to differentiate and offer better. So for me, it will be net positive. Uh, I might be wrong, but that's the you know that's that's how I have been thinking about it. And if you go his historically with technology, that's what it happens. There, there is some correction. There will be some times that you know it might not be very easy or go through things. But in the end, it just unleashes potential. Brian, do you feel the same? I do. I mean, I I, I um in. I would even say, like, I'm not sure AI is really the, I, I think AI shine, shines more light on this question. But honestly, when we started on that um, the tabaret that I was talking about, that design system, and we started working, we're working with agency partners on that and some other things. Um, and I think there was a, very much a fear of, are you trying to design me out of my job, right? So like, oh, you're going to create this responsive design system where you basically go in and you have this magical interface, you say, I want to have an event and I want it to be this kind of like, I want it to be, I want snappier content or I want more structured content. I want it to be serious. You turn a few knobs and it spits out all this content, this sort of experiential environment. This goes back to the original experience design label in my job title. But um, my, you have to look at what our motivation was. And our motivation was like, we, we have more demand for this kind of these kinds of experiences, whether it's events or whether it's activations and exhibits and things like that, we have more demand than we can possibly answer. Um, we don't we can't always justify you know the same level of investment that you you would make in everything. Like you can't always do the most bespoke, most cutting edge thing in every project. And yet there's a great application for experience design. And I think of experience design. Um, I think really the way Panos is describing it, where it's very much about um, like improving experiences very holistically. It's not precious. It's not, you know, elitist. It's like everything should be able to be improved through this process. Um, and so these are tools that help us take some things that were really expensive, making them a lot more cost effective, and then we can steer resources to the next thing. So I think it's a way of a, 
of having a broader, deeper impact um, and creating more opportunity for designers and creative, you know, creative, uh, any creative role, any, any kind of like event or experience design role. I think it creates more capability in the long term if you're willing to, uh, if you're willing to embrace it. Um, I, I absolutely don't think it, it creates less. I think it creates more and I think it expands the demand. I, I agree with you both, and I think you are, are both very right that, that you know, panels to your point, event planners are very, very busy, and, and often there's a lot of work that takes them away from the core of the reason that they, you know, the stuff that they love and the reason they got into the industry, the, the finessing of that experience and adding that extra special touch to it so everybody has a really good, great time. And then back to your point, Ryan, you know, the cost efficiency of things, making as making the budget stretch further so they can add layers of creativity on, do more events, create more impact within the business and things like that. I think that's really, really key as well because there's so much pressure around events because of the budgetary impact that they can have, especially if you're delivering lots of events regularly, that becomes a really big, you know, line on the PL from a business perspective to make sure that it's it's managed correctly and i've seen it through you know previous recessions and things like that often events are one of the things that are looked upon as a quick win save kind of scenario but often they have a bigger negative impact because they're often the things that bring people together to drive value out of things like that you know they bringing people together helps come out of things like recessions and stuff like that, because everybody comes together to work together to a collective goal of making things work and improving or getting out of the hole and things like that. But when they're taken away, it becomes really challenging to do that. And I'm sure anybody that's listening to this as, as an agency or an experienced designer will, will uh, have a sigh of relief as well. I really think actually Ryan Google should get into the event tech space because I think you've cl clearly got two yeah. amazing products that you're keeping to yourself and that's just not fair. Um, I guess my, my last question on this, and this is a, a, again to both of you, where do you hope this technology goes? What do you hope it brings to the industry in the future? Panas, I'm going to start with you in terms of maybe an insight into where Zenus feels that you know you're doing not just you're not just helping Ryan you're helping hundreds of other event organizers and brands and corporates and things like that do this for their events maybe where maybe you could have a little insight into where you think the technology will go in the future uh, I appreciate the question Adam and I'll just speak from our point of view uh, on this one and we have a very specific vision uh, high level vision about what we want to achieve on the first portion you know the first stage is understanding behavior measuring okay so it's the consumer insights it's the attendee analytics understanding what is happening the second the second stage is influencing this experience and you can influence it by changing tactics from event to event or you can even influence it in real time so for example what you do you measure sentiment in the room you see the energy drops your your objective or your outcome your desired outcome is to get everybody pumped up, you change the music automatically, you change the lights automatically. So you have the ability right now to be very, very uh, reactive in a way and address situations on the spot. And we're starting to see more and more even organizers having somebody monitor the data and react on the spot. And the third part is the strategic bigger point of view of being, you know, having the insights across the board. So the way we're looking at understanding, influencing the behavior, the experience, and then be strategic on the big level insights. And by the way, to be clear, we're not doing just the facial analysis. We're doing things such as scanning badges. We're, we're going to add voice analysis, uh, adaptive content. So we're looking at holistically. We started as ethical facial analysis because you start from somewhere, but this is there's a much, much bigger vision that we're working towards. And Ryan, yourself, where do you see the, the technology going? To, or how do you hope to utilize it in, in your role at Google in the future? Yeah, I think all of these things fit together uh, for me as a way of, I mean, one way I've talked about it for a long time is sort of a democratization of these tools, of, 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 the, of the environments, of experiential environments, um, and of experience design processes and things. And I think the barrier to entry has been very high because of the 
often like it's an investment in real estate and investment in technology and investment in teams and the methodologies and processes have been very linear. And so, you know, to be able to constantly uh, build a higher foundation every time we kind of iterate through this um, and, and lower the barrier to entry and make it more applicable, more generally applicable. Um, ultimately it's, it's about trying to, uh, yeah, I think democratize it, but also to, to have the, the, the deepest, most, you know, sustainable impact we can't, we can into um, creating these opportunities, you know, whether it's events or whether it's some other kind of experience. And I guess one question, I, I said my last question was my last question and I lied because now I have another question. And, and this is, this could be for either for you. Do you see this technology moving into the space of the other side of in-person, which is more of those digital experience? Because ultimately, I think everybody can agree, although there was a need for that type of connection through the pandemic, it wasn't true or to the same value of uh, that in-person connection. And I think that's because obviously the people were in the same room, so they, they, they felt that. Uh, weirdly, there was nothing to feel, but they felt that distance kind of thing. But I'm wondering if the technology could play a role in elevating those digital experiences or even those hybrid experiences where there are some people in the room and some people remote and actually provide a better connected experience between between the two worlds. Do, do, do either of you have any thoughts on that? I'll jump in on that. I, absolutely. I mean, hybrid is a, it's a problem, right? Like it, mm. it's a problem in the sense of it, it starts from a position of like, inequity, like inequity. So inequity of, of experience, inequity of access to the conversation, um, inequity of, of presence and, and influence. And in the end, again, we have many of these events for business purposes. And even if you, you could apply this to a meeting as well, it doesn't even have to just be an event. And the equity issue is a big challenge and you can't just magically replicate the in-person um, the in-person experience digitally. I think that was tried a lot through the pandemic and not very successfully. So yeah, I think we have to find ways where we use the right tool, the right the right tactic, so to speak again, uh, but where you are in, in, in physical space and you know, in your relationship to the event means that you should be, you know, you should get a different experience. The experience that hopefully gives you the best equity of presence and the best equity of influence and all those other things. And I think that that's a very hard problem to solve that actually AI can really, uh, can really power because there's a lot of, there's a lot of small, small levers, so to speak, that you could pull that are probably impossible to manage on any given event, uh, unless you can apply something like AI to really help manage it holistically. So, uh, I will double down on that, Ryan, because we had we, we, we are doing it and we have done it, especially in the early days of the pandemic or post-pandemic uh, period, where we had uh, we were analyzing the audience remote. It was a hybrid event, analyzing the audience remotely and the in-person one. And you could see the difference in the experience. Now, by analyzing the facial expressions and trying to infer the sentiment, what you could see is that the remote audience, day after day, their energy was going down. They were less and less engaged. The in-person, you had a very good day and a very good third day and last day, which usually signifies that they're going out of this in a very good way. Now, if you were looking at sign-in time, how many people joined, they were required to be there. Everybody was there. You couldn't tell if they're actually engaged and enjoying the experience or not. And you need some extra information to get better statistics and understanding around that. That's the first part. And the second part, some people, people were, were joining from Asia and some of the programming was like 3 a.m. their time. Again, they were like part of the organization. They were supposed to be there. They were there, but they were as grumpy as you can imagine because it wasn't thoughtful enough for the organization. Like somebody missed it. Somehow they missed it that the time difference is going to create a very bad experience. Now they know it is part of the process to check this a little bit more, more thoroughly. So absolutely, yes. The short answer is yes. That's pretty, yeah, I, I, I hope that's the same as well, because I, I, I still believe in the value of virtual events. And although to Brian's point, there's that 
inequality of experience. There's also the the opposite of that, which is the potential accessibility that it creates for for certain people and things like that to still be able to get access to that knowledge and content and things. And certainly those things work in very different ways. You know, if you're just there to watch a session and a single speaker and you don't necessarily need to be in the room for anything else, then, you know, it's it's that Netflix experience, right? But lots of events are much more than that, 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 that opportunity to meet people, catch up with people, meet new people. I don't know, maybe meet your future wife, your future husband, or something like that. Like those things happen at, at, at in-person events and that can't happen. Well, it can happen. Online dating happens, but, you know. Um, like with, with Ryan, we, we first connected online. We were talking and so forth. Yeah. Where I actually felt very, very close to Ryan was at the event club in Las Vegas when before our, our session, we sat down and we talked and we said about each other's lives. That's when, at least Brian, for me, that's when I felt a very strong connection to him. Yeah. And, and that is very hard to substitute. The, the, the thing that happens in person is you everybody gives that extra bit of time and that extra bit of in, in, interest in the personal side of people, right? And that's what forms the bonds of relationships and friendships. And that actually has a huge impact on business as well, right? Because people buy from people that they like and they connect with and they resonate with and things like that. Or they hire people in that frame of work and things like that as well. Or they so. just collaborate more effectively. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think back to one of your very first points, right, Ryan, which was the efficiency of getting things done as well when you're together in person and stuff. I'd like to very much thank you both for giving me your time. I thought this conversation was, was really insightful. Ryan, thank you for giving us so much insight into how Google approaches these things and what the value that you're getting out of technologies um, like Xenus and, and Panos' team and stuff. Panos, again, wants to thank, thank you again for helping to create such an interesting um, podcast and, and, and conversation and stuff and working with us on that. For anybody that's listening to this podcast, if you've made it to this point, uh, thank you very much for sticking with us. Please do give this a like, a share, a comment, tag Ryan, tag Panos so they know that you've watched it, hopefully share it with others in your network so they can also take something away and learn something from the episode. Um, we'll see you in the next one. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.